Yeah, it's, it's interesting. And by the way, uh, welcome to another episode of Off the Record Podcast. I am here with the guy, the man, the myth, most hated, probably? Maybe? No? Uh, don't do me like that. No, <laughs> nah, nah, not the most hated, but um, a legendary dude that's definitely impacted the music space uh, because we remember him from the infamous moment, uh, the festival that never happened, but may still happen, uh, Fire Festival. We have Billy McFarlane in the building. What's up, man? You know what's wild? I've been doing a little bit of a media run. Yeah. And everything was based on a music festival. And I think this is my first, like, real music podcast. So really? It's kind of crazy. Did a lot of, like, the tech, like, financial, you know, sectors, but haven't really hit the music world and doesn't really make sense. So now we're here. Pump for this. That's actually interesting you said that because when you came into the game, you were making a cross-section of many different worlds, right? Like, a lot of people don't even, like, admit it. Like, for example, um... A lot of these companies that, like, I think even, I forgot if Spotify or one of these companies, you know, we're on Spotify now, they said they weren't a music company, they're a tech company. A lot of these companies that are streaming companies, they flat out say, hey, music is the product, but that's the product that the user consumes, but not the product that we're focusing on. Like, we have these licenses, but we stay ahead of the game by investing in tech. So, tech, music... And a lot of different spaces have kind of already had this cross-section. And I think you made it kind of very simple where you were going to put it on someone's phone. Yes. So before, and I know some people might be like, they vaguely remember the story. Um, you give us a recap of, you know, kind of where you came from. Because you come off like like a, like a genius in a sense. But then you also come off like a great businessman. Yeah. Right? Or, well, we'll talk about it. Go ahead. Yes, yeah, like I started programming when I was like nine years old in my family's basement. Mm. And I sold a couple of websites in middle school and high school and went to college, like literally with a suitcase full of cash. And I never lived alone. And like, just like grew up at home in a middle-class suburban household. So like never needed money as a teenager. Yeah. Like now I'm alone in college and I start like finding out about like nightclubs and like traveling alone and basically blow all this cash. I'm like, shit, like how can I get this freedom back that I felt for like six months as an 18 year old, you know, boy. Yeah, yeah. And got back to programming and tried to make a social network for my dorm room and ended up like failing as a social network. But so, so you were actually coding. I, I yeah, never I was knew coding, you were yeah. the, the, the back end code. I never knew you did that. Yep. So it was coding. So in my dorm room, trying to build a social network, shit wasn't really working. But then I got introduced to this record label. So fast forward a couple of months, I'm now selling software to all these music artists. And I grew up in the world where it's like finance. label. Uh, we sold to Def Jam. Uh, oh, shit. Yeah. So, like, in Def Jam's office now is an 18-year-old selling software. And just, like, didn't even know the entertainment world really existed. All of my friends were studying to go work at, like, big banks or law firms yeah. and, like, do the boring corporate America jobs. Now I'm, like, 18, like, meeting music artists. Like, oh, shit, I could use programming as a vehicle to get access to all this shit that seems so inaccessible as a kid. How did you get introduced to... Uh like even people in that world, like, you know, you're giving a fast track. Yeah. Like I think just even hearing it, first of all, how do you learn to code at like yeah. nine? <laughs> like number two, you, you, you gain a, a sizable amount of money, yeah. but you end up blowing it. How do you meet these people? Because yeah. is it luck or is it kind of like connections as a family? Like how does it work? Dude, it's all just fucking like hustling. Right. And I didn't even know what a venture capitalist was, but my college had a pitch competition where you can basically get up there and pitch your startup to like a panel of judges. And I was like a freshman, didn't really know much, but I memorized a seven-minute speech. 
And I got on stage and just absolutely crushed That's some Shark Tank shit. Yeah, it's like a Shark Tank shit, but like I was up against people who were, weren't at the highest caliber, right? Yeah, like, yeah. I crushed this seven minute speech and like won the competition. And like now I'm out of cash. So I'm like, fuck, I'm really good at rehearsing memorized speeches. And I went online and found this pitch competition in Philadelphia. Literally bought this train ticket, go to this pitch competition. Now I'm up against these like 40 year old like seasoned entrepreneurs. And I just like give my rehearsed pitch. This guy comes out of nowhere in the crowd and gives me his business card. And on one side, it says professional angel investor. On the back, it's like 50 companies he invested in. And he goes like, Billy, great presentation. Send me your pitch deck. I'm like, I had no idea what the fuck a pitch deck was. But I said, sure, I promise I'll get it to you tonight. How do you, again, um, that's impressive, right? How do you even know to go to even like a pitch competition, right? Because there's a bunch of kids that, you know, they have great ideas. They might think of something. Well, number one, most of them don't know how to make it happen. But even if they did figure out to make an invention or create a new product, how do they get funded for it? Like, who told you, like, hey, you probably should seek out an investor? I think funding and, like, raising money is all about finding that one thing that you're good at and going all in at that. And, like, I didn't really know what I was doing, but I knew I could give a great memorized speech. So I said, how can I find a platform to give a great memorized speech? Because I'm probably better than everybody else at that. But, like, I can't go and, like, pitch an investor in a formal setting because I have no idea what the fuck I'm doing. Like, let me go find a platform where I can get on stage and, you know, show up some 40-year-old guy. It's this 18-year-old kid. Worked. So so the guy gives you the card. Um, You have no no idea, but but at least it's something, right? Like. I'm like, you know, in my mind, the round's already closed. I'm already a millionaire. Like, yeah, yeah. nothing's happened yet. So I get back on the train. I still have a BlackBerry. This is 2010. Yeah, so yeah. I'm, like, Googling, like, what's a pitch deck? So I get home late that night, like, pull up PowerPoint, like, put a quick pitch deck together, email it to the guy, and he responds to me at 5 a.m. with one sentence saying, Billy, this is shit. Meet me at Starbucks at 8 a.m. No, he says it's shit? This is shit. So now, like, my world is crushed, but he said, meet me at Starbucks. I've never had a coffee meeting in my entire life, like, I'm like a freshman in college. Don't know what the fuck is going on. Wait, wait, <laughs> like what would you put in the pitch deck? <laughs> what are you thinking like before 5 a.m. gets there? Yeah. Like, are you thinking it's the first time you, you try to make a pitch deck? Yeah, I just can't sleep. And I'm like, did I'm, you just I'm like gonna... throw any, anything in there? Yeah, I, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I'm like, I'm going to build a social network. It's going to be great. And I'm like, you know, we're going to do this and that's in a third. And like some record labels are buying our shit. Like, I didn't really know what I was saying. Right? Yeah, yeah. It was like terrible. And I couldn't sleep. My Blackberry Bing's. Billy, this is shit. I felt like my entire world ended and went to Starbucks at 8 a.m. the next morning. And the guy, his name is John Asen. Uh, he was like a legendary angel investor. I had no idea like if this guy was real or what I stumbled upon. He literally pulled out like an old-fashioned checkbook out of his coat pocket and gave me 100 grand at the Starbucks. And he said- After well, he said it was shit? After he said it was shit. He goes like, Billy, I trust that you'll give me the same terms that you'll give the venture capitalists that, that'll find you very soon. Like that was his exact words. Gives me the check. No paperwork, nothing, and it's like sent me on my way. Wait, so n- nothing like saying, "Hey, listen, you, you should have included this in the pitch pitch deck." Like that that came weeks later, and he like helped me, like taught me how to pitch. He took me to like proper investor meetings, and like you know, told me how bad it was. Everyone, he kind of like took me through the gauntlet after that. But literally said, "I believe in you. Here's a check, and I trust you'll give me the right terms." Like when the time is right for that. Yo, that's really like, that's Crazy, the literal right? definition of an angel investor. Literally angel investor. He was my guardian angel. Like, I spent my last dollars traveling to this pitch thing. was fucking clueless. And John Asen comes out of the woodwork. It takes, some, it takes some resourcefulness to even get to that point. I think he probably sees your ambition, your age, your resourcefulness, even get to that point. 
You're not perfect, but he sees someone with, with drive. Yeah, I think his job too is like, hey, I'm going to invest in 50 billies right now. And if five make it, you know, it'll be profitable for me. So that's also his business as well. Was he also thinking that because, again, I don't know too much about investing, yeah. but I'm always thinking, imagine I give you this $100,000 check. Yeah. You're an 18-year-old kid. Yeah. Not only do you mismanage it, or maybe you just get another idea yeah. and you use my money. Like, wasn't that like the story of like um, maybe the social network or something like that? Yeah. Where, where they were getting money for one thing mm -hmm. and use it to build another thing, right? Like, was any of those things, um, obviously you wouldn't know that, but sure. like, did you kind of get that vibe or anything? I, like I think that? his kind of thing is like, hey, you, you are super young and I'm taking the bet now, so even if this one fails, if your next one works, or if your one after that works, like I'll have a seat at the table. So I think that was, like, in, yeah, that was like the implied, you know, contract, right? It's like, you know, I'll be there when one hits and like, it might not be this one or it might be this one, but let's take the swing. Mm. So what do you do? What do you so, do with that check? That check is burning a hole in your pocket. Well, you I, didn't, I didn't have a bank account like at the time. Like I blew what? all my cash from my like high school website, right? Yeah, and, like yeah, I had like a college checking account. So I drove to Chase, <laughs> opened up a bank account and like, you know, prayed for three days while the check cleared. The check cleared. I'm like, Yo, they probably <laughs> ask you. I know when you go deposit money, anything over like 10 grand, they start asking you questions. What oh, do you yeah. do? Where do you get? Like, yeah. okay, let's say, okay, so you open up a bank account. Yeah. Um, the check clears. Yeah. You got to be feeling like you're a fucking million dollars right now. Now I feel like a million bucks. And then John's like, all right, now we need to go and like raise more money so you can actually build out a big business here. And he would take the train with me. Now I'm back in New Jersey, like after my freshman year of college. I never ended up going back, but he would take the train with me from New Jersey to the city and started taking me around to all these like business meetings. So I was in my like oversized, like Brooks Brothers, like blue blazer meeting with all these like billionaire, you know, investors in New York. Jesus. So pretty much George is his protege. That Basically. Point. And like, just like a super crazy, amazing, you know, guy. And yeah. And like, that was it. And then ended up meeting a firm, not through him, through somebody else that like led her investment around a couple months later at the time became the youngest person to ever raise like, venture capital. So, wow. Yeah, so he was right. He like his, his, uh, intuition proved true. And like, I didn't even know what a venture capital firm was. And so it took a few months. Wait, so that idea you initially had was about building like some type of like social media or social network type of thing, right? So you might've seen it. If you remember back to like, now it's like been like 13 years ago where all these banned websites became these grids where they had like little tiles that could be like a video or like a link or a picture, yeah, yeah, yeah. like these interactive grids. And like, I built that and it ended up becoming this like system that did a better job for media companies or music artists to manage their content rather than for regular users. So it became more of like selling software to businesses along the way. But yeah, it's like a wild ride and just like programming took me to this world that I had no access to, which I think is like the cool theme. So you're then transitioning a bit from being a ambitious self-motivated programmer slash coder, right? Now you're, now you're a businessman, yep. right? How's, how's that kind of um transition? Because I think what we kind of know you for, and, and especially after watching that, that uh documentary on Netflix, we're like, yo, you're, you're what rappers would say, yo, you can sell, you can sell water to a whale. You know what I mean? Like you're a great salesperson and you, you're good at getting people to buy into your ideas, or buy into your vision. Or somehow extracted money out of people who could be investors. So how did that become the thing, especially now you're thrusted into this world where you're dealing with VCs and shit? So I think which is interesting, and I was literally looking at this yesterday, and this first company was called Spling. And I was looking back at like what happened to my first 10 Spling employees. And 9 out of the 10 of them are just like totally on fire right now. And 
they are far more successful than any of the team members I had at my next companies, which, you know, might have garnered more media attention. It was interesting to see how, like, in my youngest and most naive phase, I somehow attracted this incredible talent. And how did you hire at that point? We were all basically was finding young kids who were just like super intrigued by like doing a tech startup. And the movie, The Social Network, had just come out, like yeah, the yeah. Facebook movie. So it was kind of like a new hot thing where all of the really smart kids who could do all anything were, up type shit, were yeah. interested in this. And like I was the one who had the balls to take that first step. So I was finding all the really ambitious young smart kids who traditionally would have become lawyers or doctors or investment bankers. And I was like, oh, wait, like Mark Zuckerberg did what? Like I'm in Harvard. Maybe I could do this too and assemble these like 10 amazing kids who are now just on fire, but they were all connected and they were just introducing me to their worlds. So this interesting phase of like the social network inspiring your Harvard kid who I didn't have access to before, but now it's coming to me and showing me his or her, his or her world. Yeah. Um, one thing I've always been bad at, which, you know, when I hear stories like yours, I think about number one, I'm really bad at hiring. Yeah. I've, you know, a colleague of mine, you know, in the hip hop space, he told me while trying to scale, the hardest thing you're going to do is hire people because you got to find people who they'll never match your passion, but you want someone who doesn't just treat like a nine to five. They're just clocking and clocking out. Um, and also sometimes even delegation. I'm horrible with that. You know what I mean? Like, like I just got an assistant mm -hmm. and like, I'm trying, like, they're asking me for stuff yeah. to do, and I'm like, I don't want you to fuck this up, exactly. right? So, you know, um, it's hard. but also those things plus network, and again, it's, it's allowed you access to other areas. That's kind of interesting because that's probably what propelled you to get to the point that you're at now. Right? For sure, and I think what's kind of interesting is that I got worse at hiring as I became more successful. Wow. And I think that... In the beginning, like I had nothing other than raw ambition and like a decent programming skill. Then as I had access to more money and more people and, you know, more of the glitz of like the entertainment world, I started attracting people who wanted like the quick path there. Whereas I started with these like pure kids who had like good hearts and were in it for the long term. And like and then I started to attract basically shitty people who just like wanted the, the wanted the quick check. Mm. So now, after you're at the point where like you're you're meeting these people, yeah. are, are you are you doing the stuff? Well, you already did the stuff with like the record labels, or you already sold the program, now. Right? Now I'm selling this the software into record labels, meeting all these people, and I'm talking to my friends who are like still at college, right? And none of them believe me. They don't understand this world exists. Like I'm telling them about like New York Fashion Week parties and like these celebrities I'm trying to like you know take yeah. shots with, and like I'm just a kid, right? And like yeah, yeah. they don't believe me, and I'm like, there has to be an either even bigger business here where I give access to all this shit to like regular kids like me. So I started the Magnesis black card where I tried to make a black credit card targeted towards, you know, 20 year olds who just like didn't know what was happening in the entertainment world. And Magnesis ended up becoming like a pretty big company. How do you even, again, it, there's going to be a lot of how, yeah. right? Because like in the hip hop community, the only person who we know even started a card is like the rush card. Yeah. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? So we actually well, hired the uh, the Rushcart CEO to come, like, come lead Magnesis eventually, like, years later. So, really? Yeah. Okay, so... so, 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 so small why, world, yeah. Why did you want to do that, right? Yeah. So you wanted to start a a, a particular car, um, yeah. just credit card company, right, or a debit card company yeah. that you could put in the wallets of young kids that yeah. are in college, which I think I see the stat that usually that's at the time where, you know, young men or young women register for the most amount of credit card and usually start establishing or racking up debt. Mm -hmm. um, why did you want to do that? So I think like one, none of my friends believe me that I was doing all this shit. And two, I really wanted a black card. And like, 
could oh, not yeah, could not get the Amex the black card. Like this is the prime of the Amex and Cherion, where their marketing is on point. Like the requirements are actually hard. You can't get it through your business. Like it was like a legit hard to get thing. And as this like 19, 20 year old, like you know, I could not qualify for the Amex black card. I said, "Fuck this! I'm going to make my own, and then I'm going to make mine better by making it relevant to me and my friends." Hey, you already messing kind of with like the hip hop world or the music world a bit. Man, some of your motivation got to be the lifestyle. Yeah. Just because I'm telling you, like, you know who obsesses over the black card? It's people in hip hop, man. Like, people in the hip hop, we hear Jay Z talk about it. Oh, the car with no limit. We don't even know nothing else about it. <laughs> like, it took me a while to realize that it was even Amex. All yeah. we knew was a black card. Yeah. You get what I mean? Um, so, the lifestyle is a little bit appealing, too, right? Because you're also growing up as a kid, you're telling your friends, like, yo, Bro, I was at this fucking fashion week party. Like, yeah. and you're probably seeing all the crazy shit yeah. happen, right? Um, it, how much were you into like some of the like the music and lifestyle stuff? Um, other than just like you and your friends, like clearly growing up as kids. Or so Magnesis really took me there, and basically, the, I started viewing Magnesis as a way to get access to everything I dreamed of as a kid. And like growing up in the suburbs, I loved rap and hip hop. Like DMX is my hero from yeah. you know, 11 years to 18 years old, but I had no way in the world to like meet DMX. Now I had this credit card making some money and I'm like, Oh wait, I can just book the DMXs of the world to come and give private concerts to my customers. Like oh, one, you're doing like some holiday party, like yeah, corporate shit, but okay, constantly. Okay. Now, like now all my 25 year old customers are in awe because they all work at these big companies. They have no access to rappers and I can make my childhood dreams come through. So I just started booking every rapper I could find to perform at Magnesis. Like, like every, uh, Rick Ross, French Montano, oh, Wale, Jim Jones. Like, we, we did the whole, everybody. Like, the whole. Jimmy got a check off it, too? Yeah, God he damn. Did. He now, did. You were, yeah. Now, now, you were, yeah. you were in it. He did. And I, could ima- and I could imagine they're probably looking at you like, Yo, how the fuck are you getting these guys who. Yeah. There, there was, I think social media has kind of, like, narrowed that um, closeness between the fan and the artist. But before, you know. Even booking an artist yeah. or even seeing an artist up close, mm-hmm. even taking a picture with an artist seems like far-fetched. But yeah. if, if you're just back-to-back bringing like, oh, you want this artist that you guys yeah. listen to all, all day long? Yeah. Probably on the iPod at that point, right? Yeah, yeah, right? literally. Damn. But then, like, these... My How co- are you doing it? Like, so my customers were so detached from music yeah, yeah. and entertainment, they didn't even know it's accessible, right? Like, they could all afford this probably at this point by themselves. They just didn't know if you had $10,000... You could yeah, get yeah, a rapper yeah. to show up and do two songs. Like <laughs> yeah. to them, that just doesn't compute, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, all right, I have ten grand. Like I could do this every two weeks, and like yeah. I did, and that was my access to it. And just like started meeting managers along the way, and like when the managers would come in and try to like you know become friends with the artists, and sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't work, and started building up my like network that way. Now that company, what happened to it? Yeah, so the company got big, and the company was at its peak when I announced Fire in the Fire Festival. And that was when everything started hitting the fan. Okay. So, all right. Because my timeline might be a little bit off. Yeah. So, Magnesis so, was gone for years. But you, did you use money from Magnesis? Uh, Mag- Magnesis, yeah. It's, it's hard. Were you using money from that to kind of like, did you take whatever money you were making there to be like, hey, let's do a festival? Because now it's kind of like yeah. ramping it up yeah. even more, right? So, uh, eventually... Basically, between announcing the festival and the festival itself was only four months. And during those four months, I was taking money from everywhere, whether it was like Magnesis, consulting jobs, investors, customers, like you name it. It was all just like one giant slush fund of like fuckery. So it certainly just came from everywhere. 
but why were you taking money? Yeah, just needed to execute the festival. I'm like backtracking for a second. Because yeah. it wasn't originally a festival, right? From my yeah. understanding is that the, that festival was to promote an app. Yep. And the app was was supposed, which I thought was a brilliant idea, mm-hmm. let's get, like, you know, for example, if, if an artist charges $100,000, right, mm-hmm. um, really they're probably going to get, like, 70%. You got to give 20% to the agency, maybe a booking agent, the manager gets to, like, and so it's a lot of stuff. But it's really the middlemen that have kind of created and, and, and instilled themselves in this business that stops the artist from having a direct connect with the person with yes. the money, yes. right? And um, that app was going to say, hey, listen, you don't have to pay $75,000 for, I don't know, French Montana. He really only charges fifty, mm-hmm. But if you pay it through the app, he gets the fifty, yes. and you cut out the middleman, which is, which is a great idea in theory. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm guessing you came up with the idea after you were constantly doing these Exactly. Bookings, so right? literally, I was doing, all, after like 20 artist bookings deep, I was getting so frustrated because I'm like, I would meet the artist and be like, yo, why did it take you so long to say yes? You're like, why do you think this is bullshit? And every single time, they're like, dude, what are you talking about? Like, yeah. here's what I was told. And it was never the right amount of money. I went through five or six middlemen. Everybody claimed to be the guy or the girl. But in reality, they like knew the cousin who knew the brother of like the producer who could like. Everybody's getting a cut. Yeah, man. everybody's getting a cut. Yep. And it just didn't make sense to me from like a technology background. It's like, I'm paying off five people who are all lying to me. <laughs> Why can't I make an app where an artist can wake up and be like, hey, I'm in Chicago for for academics podcast, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. let me wake up in the morning and, oh, shit, I have seven offers. Hey, this one actually looks good. Let me go pick up 20 grand while I'm here. Why not? And, like, I can build an app and have it directly in their pocket, and the artist is going to love it, and the buyer, like, the idiots like me who have the money but don't want to deal with the bullshit are going to yeah. love it too. I thought that was – by the way, I still think that's an amazing yeah. concept. I. I thought the pitfalls would have came probably way, way later in the game when uh, most of these people have agencies and contracts. Sure. And, and then now it's like, hey, you're stepping on toes. That's yeah. that, that was going to be a fight that I imagine you imagine you would have to fight, right? It's like, imagine you're like, hey, listen, well, there's a bunch of middle order companies that do it. But like if, if booking flights and you're like, you're competing with speed and all these people, but you're like, I just, we have a way more efficient way to do it they would probably spend some money to get you out of there. So how how much funding did you try to get for that before you even got to the concert? So one, we had one idea there, which we were doing with some big artists who I'm not going to mention, is we went to the artists and their managers. And it's like, look, guys, like, how are you doing all your bookings? And then this is 2015, 2016, and it's all on emails. Like, you know, this is not Jay-Z, but it's like the tier below. Like, book X, who's an A-list rapper. At, yeah, at gmail.com like oh, yeah. people like, that's, how they all, that's how they all had this yeah, shit right they still got it now so and i'm like wait wait one second so show me your email so like the manager popped the email up and these big artists they were getting hundreds of offers a day yeah, yeah. and i'd be like and i'd be looking at the emails I'm like yo why don't you respond to any of these and everybody's like yo i don't have time for that like i'll pick it's out too much bullshit too much bullshit i'll pick out two or three a day and respond so i said you know what instead of dealing with the stuff you are taking and taking money out of your pocket let me pay you for access to your email account and everything you don't respond to within three days, I own that lead. So then we set up an auto response to their email. So like, let's say you're trying to book a list artist yeah, yeah. and you're the manager and you don't respond to the email. It'll automatically say like, Hey, thank you so much for your offer. Unfortunately, you know, X artist can't take this, but go to fire app and submit your offer there for somebody else. And we'll take care of you. So I was scooping up all That's the buyers genius. that way. And like making all these a list artists happy because I've been giving them free money. Who comes up with that? We just did like we're like literally I was sitting there 
Uh, do you know it's like a think tank like type of situation. Like yo, how do we? Because all of these yeah. are just like it, it's it's like genius ways yeah. to do do something that people usually take for granted or ignore. So I really liked. I was a huge fan of a boogie, and I was trying to sign him on on fire, and we never did. So I was sitting there with Webb, his manager at the time, yeah. and like Webb's like you know Webb's great, and he was like trying to jack the price up, obviously. So he's showing me all his offers. Like look how in demand we are. Yeah, and that's how the idea came. Like Webb, how are you not responding to all these people? He's like. Dude, I have like one of the hard, hottest like young hip hop artists in New York. Yeah, I have time yeah. to do this shit. Like, all right, like let me pay you and your artist to to take over these leagues. And like that's where I started, and then we did that with you know a good number of of big hip hop acts. Okay, so so that, that's actually a great thing. Which I'm wondering why people haven't replicated that. Too. Yeah, because I'm gonna be honest with you, when people have an inquiry email and people have it very commonly in music. Yeah. It's impossible to respond because sometimes you don't know if it's a broke dude in the hood. Just yeah. It could be a bullshit-ass email. So you usually kind of go for the reliable ones. And also, like, what you learn in business, especially with hip-hop, yeah. you don't even want to do business with people who are going to haggle your price, yeah. right? Because Not if they're right. haggling your price, you're going to show up to that fucking concert in that city. You've been on the flight the whole time. Not even gonna have the money, so <laughs> you leave those emails on red, right? Like if they're if they're hit you for the homie discount in the email, like come on, I don't even know you. <laughs> Done so, bad, bad foot already. <laughs> but they might have some money yeah. that could book somebody else. So those leads yeah. just kind of go away. Yeah. It, great idea to uh, pick it up. Okay, so cool. That's the first thing you yeah. figure out a way how you could kind of benefit off um, getting these leads. Which, by the way, I think that's almost like kind of like starting a mailing list. If, yeah. you, if you ask me, that's like starting a mailing list of promoters. And venues who yeah. want artists, exactly, right? So I that's want like every guy like me, list, exactly. right? Yeah. That's that, that's they might not have the money or maybe the dates to work out, but they definitely have money to book artists. I wanted everybody in the country with ten thousand dollars to book a rapper. Good, and like, how can I find every single one of them? Whether it's a nightclub in Soho, Manhattan, or some rich dude in Chicago who like wants to book for his daughter's birthday party every year. Like, I wanted every single one of those guys, and that was the idea to to capture them. Mm. And then it turns to the app. Yeah, which obviously is kind of using that idea, but but yeah. then just kind of scaling up, um, and just kind of pushing it out to everyone rather than just to the people from the leads, right? And I got lost in the sauce. So I think the one thing I'd figured out is that turbulence is the ultimate vehicle of attention, and what do you mean? to kind of create the situation where it's like some fear and uncertainty, and everybody wants a front row seat to watch the plane in turbulence if they know they can't get hurt. But you, but up until this point, you can correct me if I'm wrong. You've never did anything. I mean, you 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 never did anything that was that turbulent. Like you've done things that were personally turbulent, mm -hmm. but never culturally turbulent. Because I don't know if you're referring to the festival where everybody was saying, "Okay, we just don't know what the fuck this is," yeah. but it seems dope. That's turbulent. Yeah. But before this, you're taking personal, maybe maybe some turbulent moments with yourself. Sure. But if you failed or whatever, it's you know, like you could kind of brush yourself off and get back up. Why do that with a company? Yes. So I, I was running these trips to the Bahamas for our Magnesis members to the Outer Islands. And basically, we're just trying to push, like, death on all these trips and doing, like, stunts in the airplanes, like, stunt scuba diving. And, like... What do you mean stunts? Like, my release of all this, like, pressure of, like, running these companies, or what I thought was pressure, was basically trying to push my physical limits in the outer islands of the Bahamas. And like, we'd turn oh. the engine off in the plane. We like, what? So you could like scoop it out at the deepest. And we were just going crazy. And we started bringing these artists that we were signing on fire to the Bahamas. So I was taking these people who were used to living Wait, in big cities. Wait, cutting off the engines? Yeah. 
We did something called Zero Gravity. Every like we had a script for like a three or four days. Was there trip. a pilot, or was it just like uh, I was flying? We had pilots, and like it was all it was a shit show. Bro, what type of drugs are you guys on? I never did any drugs in my Stop entire it. life. We're I not swear. believing that. I swear, you're on the white. Yeah. No, no, gotta be on the white. I haven't tried once in my life. Everybody else, there's no way. There's yeah, I, I swear in my life. There's no way people are in a plane. They're like, yo, cut the engine, bro. <laughs> like hey, without, gotta be on some dr- some shrooms. I've literally I've smoked weed maybe like maybe ten times in my life and like nothing else. I mean, obviously that's some crazy yeah. dopamine release, but like yeah. I would I always thought the Bahamas thing was like, yo, we're going there and we're gonna have legal Epstein Island fun. Like, just like, this it, is going to be debauchery and fuckery and constant sex, drug <laughs> taking. I, that's what I'm imagining. And just, it's like a hedonism. You ever heard of hedonism? I've heard of hedonism. And what's crazy is it was not like that. Like, I'm sure some people were doing drugs, but like, it was not like a drug based sex field trip. Sex fuel. It got to be like Freak Nick, the white boy. There was sex was definitely part of it, but it was more of like a physical, I'm going to see if I'm going to survive this trip. We're going to take a 1960s propeller plane from New York, go to some island in the middle of nowhere, see so you can scoop it out the deepest, see so you could fucking take their jet ski in the middle of the ocean the longest. Like, it was all about, like, finding this release. And I had the weird way of convincing people who were very established and stable, whether it was the biggest supermodels in the world or the biggest rapper in the world, to come and fucking risk it all for these adventurous trips. And I, I don't know why, but, like, that was my drug and that was my release. Well, very, very white boyish. Release it. <laughs> Definitely. Like, yo, let's, <laughs> let's get this plane and just turn it off. <laughs> but, but wait, wait. Um, the power of uh, of convincing, though, yeah. I, I think you kind of gloss over that. But, but that is your, the skill you, you have, right? You, you did it many times. You were able to convince. Like, for example, I would imagine people who are established have the most to lose and who are really successful. Why the hell would they even agree to some of the things that you were suggesting? Mm-hmm. So I think I did a lot of like bad things, like lying to investors, which we'll get into and that'll come. But I was doing things I was so passionate about. It's like, I love this shit. I think that was just infectious. And people just didn't ask the hard questions because like I truly believed that what I was doing was the coolest thing in the world. And whether it was or wasn't for you, to me it was, and I was all in for that. So would it be fair to say that maybe them watching you being so passionate and also kind of seeing maybe what they perceive as a track record of winning, they're like, yo... It it's almost like a I don't want to say like a group thing, but it's like, hey, this gotta be this gotta be dope. Yes. This gotta be exactly. we're gonna be good. Yeah. Like let's push let's keep pushing this limit. And it becomes like a point where like amongst like the super wealthy, they just get bored, right? Like they all go to the same private like dinner clubs, they all have, you know, a great apartment, they all have a great Hamptons house, and it's like that's boring. Now we all have this shit. Who wants to get into a plane that may or may not fucking work and see how far we can go and see what's gonna happen? It's like I kind of found that niche where it's like, I am going to push your life and get that excitement back for you. It's like extreme sports. Yeah, exactly. Now, who are some of the people, like, like are we talking about, at least before we even get to, like, really the fire, some, yeah. but you guys go into the Bahamas at first and just kind of pushing the limits. Like, are we talking about, like, celebrities at that point are going go with you, or is it just, like, you and maybe, like, you're the tech buddies. So it all started with Magnesis customers, and we had this like townhouse space in downtown Manhattan. It was basically like a 24-7 party space where if you had the card, you can come for free, drink for free, just like kind of come hang out anytime. And this guy walks in, goes to like our front desk girl. He's like, hey, I'm a programmer at Google, but I also fly planes. Like, I want to teach Billy how to fly. 
And so like, I run down to the townhouse, go meet this guy. And like, he's one of my best friends today. Like a fucking uber genius. Like, so you don't fly a plane? You don't fly a plane. And he, he, at the time he owned a four seater plane and we're flying around. And he goes like, let's start Magnesis Air. And that was the that was the start of history. We started. Nah, somebody was hot during this. Nah, <laughs> somebody was hot. Nah, I I know what I know what a bunch of people smoke weed. I think I was the only person not high, so it's like I was missing out. So wait, so, but so so you were like flying planes illegally, all type of shit. Then he was a he's a licensed pilot. So well, you're not supposed to be flying. Then. Well, I'm, I don't know, but yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. So damn, wow. All right, so you guys are kind of pushing. Which, by the way, also. There are people who pay a lot for yeah. thrills yeah. in life. Mm-hmm. And it might it doesn't even have to be the people who are just bored because maybe they're too well off and mm-hmm. there's nothing they can't just easily pay to yeah. experience. But people do like different experiences. So you you kind of started with taking the customers who are like higher up mm-hmm. using this card, giving them an experience that's probably so infectious. Yeah. And then maybe word spreading a little bit, and and also you you're meeting other people who yeah. you're probably showing this experience to as well. So I started learning what I was really I didn't know what I was doing. Right, I would take people for these three or four day trips to some island in the middle of nowhere, and we would come back and be best friends. But, How'd you find the island? Uh, just like randomly landed there with my pilot buddy. Randomly yeah. landed. He's there? like, hey, this one has a landing strip, and he's like on his iPad, like looking for landing strips when we land. Like, no fucking yeah. Now this sounds like some narco shit. Wait, yeah. hold on. Yeah, like it was Pablo Escobar's <laughs> old island that ended up being. So yeah, really. Yeah. So you guys land there. Yeah. There's like there's shot planes in the water, like that missed the runway and everything, and they can snorkel around. It's like it's really cool. Really. Yeah. Okay. Wait, what's the name of this island? Norman's Key. Norman's Key. So you guys land there. Yeah. Probably realize, like. Like, there's three people who live there. So, like, you know, three people. we took the plane. They buzzed over the guy's house, like, on a low flight to wake him up. And he comes and meets us, like, a little doom buggy at the landing strip, grabs our bags. He has a couple little villas. And then, like, we started slowly making it our home base. And there was no cops? No, 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 no police, no. There are probably cops there now. I don't know. I haven't been back to that. After me, they're like, you know what? Like, like, it was yeah, probably a nice little up. paradise. You guys fucked. Yeah. Okay, so, so. So, basically, what I, was, what I was doing is, like, I would take, you know, A-list person this Meet them in New York. Nothing happened. I take them to the island for the weekend. You know, they won't leave me alone. I'm like, what am I, what's happening here? Yeah, it's pro- like, if you give somebody the yeah. great, it's like, it's like, but dudes know this. Like, if, if you meet that one wild chick yep. at the club yep. or on vacation and you enjoy that wildest weekend of your life mm-hmm. with her, you're always going to hit her back. Yes. Like, that's just what it is. So you're giving people just an invaluable experience and they're kind of gravitated towards it, yes. right? Who's the first person you bring down it? That's a celebrity. So we, I, I mean, like we really did the whole, you know, supermodel scene. So yeah, we would bring them all, and that would attract. Everybody How do you else. convince? Are you, are you paying them, or are you you just like? So models? like, literally, I, w- I called like the head of you know IMG, and like who's like a friend of my investor. I'm like, hey man, I've been doing these Bahamas trips, you know, for years. I want to take like, I gave him like, you know, I want to take Haley Baldwin, I want to take Bella Hadid, all these people. He's like, last me off the phone. Yeah, yeah. Like you know what? Fuck it. So I started with like an agency, a couple of tiers below. The girls all came back and said that that was the best weekend of my life. And I'm like, three weeks later, he's calling me, hey, my entire roster wants to go. Like, like w- when can we come? And so we, we were doing these trips for weeks, months, and, like, they are just going so well. And I'm like, you know what? I've landed on this thing where it's like, if we can provide this turbulence but then keep people safe, that's a billion-dollar business. So the idea for Fire Festival came to productize these trips without, like, all the fear and all the risk. So it's like, wait, if I can bring thousands of people here, but not quite push it to where they're actually in danger, 
make the entire trip safe, but they can kind of like smell and sense danger that's close to them. That's a really fucking valuable business. So you never thought of, um, like, for example, Rolling Loud has 120,000 people yeah. that's going to come in the weekend. Mm-hmm. You weren't trying to aim to get a festival that was going to bring a million people. No. Feels like you were you were trying to do a select, you know, maybe a few thousand, yeah. but not to the extent where, oh, this is for anybody who could pay 120 bucks, right? No, I, I wanted it for the few thousand people who, you know, while the music is very, very important, it's not the end-all, be-all. The people who want to come and just, like, explore and get adventures for a weekend. Mm. Before before you get to the fire Festival and you just start bringing people, who's yeah. funded this? Are you just... Like, who's funding all this stuff? So it started cheap, right? We would take, like, little planes that, like, cost no money to fly. And then, like, slowly, I had a really bad problem. It kept getting bored, right? It's like, okay, we had, you know, three propeller planes. Well, I want two jets and five propeller planes. Okay, great. We have one island. I want three islands. And, like, I kind of got lost and caught up in the mix and just started raising more money from investors, started taking on any kind of consulting jobs I can get. Started what using are you telling the investors that this money's for? Uh, I'm big, hey, I'm building a festival in you know a few months, and it's gonna be the biggest fucking brand ever. <laughs> and it's like went hard with it. Damn. Yeah. Okay. So now we're kind of at the festival, yeah. right? Because uh, I think that's when publicly we start seeing announcements that there's gonna be a festival that seems like almost like a vacation festival, yeah. where you go not only have a festival experience, it's an entire like oasis away from home. Yes. And we thought this shit is like number one is never seen before, but we thought it's already set up. What's the timeline of the even the announcement being made and you just kind of thinking it off the whim at that point? So like at this point we had done these trips successfully a number of times and I'm like, wait, if we can make this a little safer and more accessible, so it's not just twenty of us, it's not just thirty of us, it's a few thousand, this is a great business. So Let's take 15 people who are like our best talent, bring them to the island at the same time, make a promo video, launch a trailer, and announce a music festival and see if it works. And we just had no idea what we were doing. I had no idea of like what a music festival even was. We dropped this video from Norman's Key in the Bahamas, and like nothing happened for three or four hours. And like I go to bed all depressed, like, fuck, I just spent millions of dollars on this trip. I'm like, it's not going to work. Yeah, you, you brought out a few models for that, right? Yeah. Who'd you bring out? At, at that trip was like everyone anywhere from like Bella Hadid, Emily Ratajkowski. How much you pay? Kelly Bieber. We were, we were paying at the time. We were paying. So there, there were, became a point where we didn't have to pay anything and like top talent was there. But this we paid. They had to do a promotion for us. Whatever it was, like it was like a contract, right? Like they were starring in the, the trailer video. So we spent all this money. We make a trailer for something we don't even know. By the gonna way, happen. I'm going to tell you why it was genius. Uh, as someone who would be a prospective festival goer, you made it seem like we were coming there to hang out with them girls. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, we're like, yo, wait, 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 wait. So we just pay a little bit more, or this is a higher price ticket, and yeah. we are hanging out with the supermodels? That was very, that was a good marketing tactic. Yeah, thank you. I think uh, that the diversity of the talent was important, too. And it's like, we just had people who didn't seem like they would know each other. So it could have been like an NFL player and a supermodel, yeah, a, yeah. a rapper, a pop star. Like, why are they all advertising this? Like, how are they connected? And like, the intrigue behind that, I think, is what really made the marketing go. So now you you got to do the festival, right? So basically, you gotta book we, the artist. We, we drop this video with uh-huh. zero plans and be like, "Hey, in four months, we're doing a fire festival." Like, didn't know what was going to happen. Two or three hours go by, like no tickets are selling, nothing's nothing's popping. I go to bed all depressed, and I wake up in the morning. It's like, "Yo, really? Like, we have thousands of people now coming. Like, how the fuck are we going to do this?" I'm like, "Wait, what?" 
like slowly overnight, people started seeing the orange tiles, started understanding it, and it just like went absolutely haywire. Yeah, no, I, I, I remember at that time, but I thought everything was set up. So no <laughs> artist was booked at that time? Uh, no artists were booked, no. Zero artists. Was there a plan of action of how this could be accomplished? Or you're like, hey, let's see if there's intrigue. If there is intrigue, yeah. we'll figure it out later. I was basically operating a festival like a fucking app where it's like, hey, let's put a landing page up, see if people sign up. And if people sign up, we'll build a product. And like I tried to apply the same thing to a festival where we, we didn't say any artists. Like we said, hey, we're doing this big festival with all these fucking crazy girls, right? Yeah, yeah. Here's a video. Let's see if people sign up. And we just sold too many tickets and just didn't give ourselves enough time. How many tickets? I think we sold 5,000 a weekend for two weekends in a row. So we had to support 10,000 people total. How much were they paying per ticket? The cheapest was like 800 and the most expensive was like 500,000. 500,000? Yeah. What the fuck? 500,000? Yeah. Oh, you're a good finesser, bro. <laughs> you're a good finesser. <laughs> Yo, wait, what was a 500,000 experience? <laughs> either like you either get like a boat or, you know, total like backstage pass and, you know, treatment at all the, at all the events. So. Wow. Yeah. So gross revenue on that, what would you make? Well, I don't even know. It's like our books are such a shit show. And I was like, I started lying to investors around this time because like, fuck, I need, I first thought I needed $15 million. And then I quickly became apparent that $15 million was not going to be enough. And I ended up lying to raise, I think 27 was what I was charged for from investors, a million. Yeah. Uh, but on top of that, we had revenue. We had like my personal income. We had Magnesis income. I was just like taking money from wherever I could earn it to try to make this festival happen. So just doing quick math, 10,000 people. Yeah. Even if we, we just say, let's say everybody spent a thousand dollars. That's like $10 million. It's not probably. enough. Yeah. It's just not enough. So. Okay. It's definitely not enough, but <laughs> sponsors, you can, yeah. I think like now I hope to one day throw a, throw a festival. Like yeah, I seen Lyrical nice. Lemonade. They do a festival in Chicago. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they have a lot of sponsors. It's on third. That's kind of how the way. Did you link up with people who are were in the space already, like the 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 concert throwing the festival space because there were already festivals going. We just needed time, and like we were trying to build a city on an island that had nothing on it. Like there was no water supplies. We were like digging water wells to turn salt water into fresh water. Like we're doing all kinds of crazy shit. We needed like eighteen months and not four months. So everything became more expensive. Everything became harder, and just became a shit show. So you, how many artists did you book? I think we had 31 artists booked. Did they get paid? Uh, every single artist was paid. 29 were paid in full, and two were paid for the first weekend only, not the second weekend. But all 31 artists were paid. Do you remember some of the names? Yeah, so the headliners, uh, one headliner was Good Music. So we had five artists from Good Music. Um, Major Laser, Disclosure, Blink-182, Migos, Little Yachty. Uh, yeah, we had all, all kinds, yeah. So you... So you you guys probably racked up more than $10 million booking artists. I think we spent four to five million booking talent. Okay. Yeah. So four to five million booking talent. Yeah. Then did you ever like look around and say, if they're supposed to stay here for a few days and there's no hotels, yeah. you just said it was a landing strip. How the hell are we planning to have them here? Um, or did you just think it was so easy to like get electricity? You could snap your finger or you thought the money, if you got enough, could just solve everything despite the time. So I was in this like mindset where I could do anything in a weekend, and I was so stupid. And like, I wish I could like slap myself back then. But I had one of my big investors down for a weekend, and this guy ran one of the biggest funds in the world, managed billions of dollars, like multi billionaire. And he's like sitting there watching as like we're like, making things happen. Like 
I'd call for like a boat and like two would arrive. Or I'd call for a plane and like, you know, two would arrive. He's like, dude, I work with the biggest fucking like banks in the world and no one has this credit that you have. So I was like caught up in this mentality where people wanted to be close to the fire, like, right, no pun intended. But they also like knew I was a young, dumb kid who was overpaying for shit. Mm-hmm. So, but no one was building me like as I was buying shit. So I could order. What do, you mean, what do you mean no one's building you? Like, hey, I need three planes. I need two yachts. I need four islands for the weekend. Oh, yes, sir. Here they are. Here they are. And they're just giving me shit, right? Like the bills will come later. So okay, okay. I was getting Invoice so, me later type yeah, shit. I was getting so overextended and these people were so willing to give shit partly because it was fun and probably because I was young and stupid. All right, cool. Yeah, I, f- I forgot. I, I cut you off. You were, you, I believe you were saying something. Here we were. Um, what were you saying? You remember? No. Screw it. Yeah, four months left, not enough time. Money coming from everywhere. And just started fucking like lying to investors. And that was a crime I committed. You know I th- what I thought about over time? Why not go to the main island? Yep. Book all the Book a huge hotel there. Because there's great resorts. Like, the Bahamas is known for resorts. You're probably going to have to pay more because what you promise is just not going to be enough based on what they paid. But at least you're going to, just like how you earn the trust of people when they came there and they're like, oh, my God, I'll never forget. Let's say you take a loss, and I'm guessing that was your thought. I'll be operating at a loss. Mm -hmm. But me operating at a loss, if we get them hooked on this, not only is the app going to go crazy, Second time when we do this in fucking Bali, Indonesia, some shit. Now we could sell a bigger experience and probably definitely ramp it up, right? Makes a lot of sense, right? It does make a lot of sense. <laughs> Why not get the hotels? Yeah, I, I was just like so, so stupid. And I just kept thinking that it needed to be different. And I didn't want to have the cruise ships. I didn't want the hotels. I wanted this true, like, adventurous feeling. But it wasn't possible. You could po- have done that a fucking w- cruise ship. I know. It wasn't possible in the given time. And, like... I just had no, I lost sight of like what reality was. And I was finding success in my early years by not believing in other people's realities. And I didn't know where to draw the line. When, when I watched the, um, the, 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 the documentary that exists now about it, it feels like no one was being a check and balance system for you. Uh, clearly the investors, <clears throat> um, they were just saying, hey, you're a fucking genius. We're rocking with you. But the people who were employed and paid by you, they, they were just kind of like, hey, if he, if, if he wants it, mm-hmm. we're going to do it because we're believing that we're going to somehow get paid. Everybody seems like they're waiting for the money in a sense. Sure. You know? And yeah, I, I was definitely, I was overpaying everybody, right? Like when we were paying, people were getting paid more than they should have been. And they were in it for the check. They were in it for the attention, whatever it was. I think there was this like, concept though where people kept saying smaller things were impossible and we kept proving that to be false, right? Like, oh, you can't do that. And I go and did it. And then after like 10 or 15 times, they stopped saying no. But the things became so big, they really weren't possible. So I literally think it took like 20 small miracles to allow me to fail on such a large scale, if that makes sense. Mm. So. <laughs> like if we failed earlier on on yeah. something like insignificant, we never would have gotten there. But the fact that we pulled off the little shit that we probably shouldn't be able to do made the bigger failure possible. Yo, listen, I don't know if you saw on social media when especially the pictures came out. The meals were crazy. Like, I want to know, based on what we've seen, and yeah. I obviously... I got, a, I'm gonna, I got a tweet DM I'm going to show you right now about the food. So 
The real story is it's like bread and cheese. Like it was crazy. <laughs> what was it supposed to look like? <laughs> okay, the real story is these two kids got high, mm-hmm. and we had decent. The food was not five star food. The food was decent. There was like real. What food. does that mean? You, there was shrimp. There was steak. But it like there it was, was no I, steak. I swear, I swear. There was steak, brother. Uh, I'm trying to find this. Um, anyway, so basically, like the food was decent, and these two kids got high. They went to the caterer and said to him. All we want is like a like a cheese, like a grilled cheese sandwich or some shit. Yeah, so yeah. he sends him to this tent. He makes him a cheese sandwich, and that picture went viral. I fucked up in so many ways. My defense to this is: if we served three thousand people cheese sandwiches, why is there only one picture? Right? Yeah, that's if, true. If you serve three thousand spoiled kids a cheese sandwich, they're all on their phones. The why tents were there, crazy though. Why is there not more pictures? Oh, the tents are bad. The, the tents were crazy. We, we, we got to make <laughs> this. Is, the tents were crazy. Yeah, I, I was so wrong. What were they sleeping on? I was so wrong, and I'm not defending any of my actions. I'm just saying the cheese sandwich. Like, there's so many things that I was like yeah, that guilty was about that I should have gotten yeah, yeah, in trouble yeah. for. But the cheese sandwich is like, come on, like it's just crazy. Um, as it was nearing the festival. Oh, dude, look another DM I just got yesterday about the tents. I'll just show you right now. So uh, people were telling you to cancel, yeah. right? Yeah. Or postpone, and postponements and cancellations happen all the time. Okay, I got this DM yesterday. I was at Firefest, rented a villa at Sandals next door, ended up having the best time. I have some epic photos of the abandoned Fire Festival ground. And look, he has a picture of, I guess, his girlfriend inside the tent. So, Oh, I've never seen that tent. Yeah. <laughs> so this, the story here is that we needed mattresses for the tents, and I had no idea where to get mattresses. I literally went on Amazon and bought a million dollars in mattresses. Shipped you bought a million dollars? A million dollars in mattresses. And mattresses. Here's here's example. Shipped them to Florida and hired a barge to bring them over to the island. Like, I literally had no Doesn't idea what that I was take, doing. That takes, like, months, though, right? Like, a million dollars in mattresses getting produced and also it's shipped. like, 10 days. It's like Amazon. Yeah. It is Amazon with a million dollars? We basically shipped it to, like, this, like, factory warehouse in Fort Lauderdale and had these barges coming, like, every two days to the island. It was fucking crazy. What people were you surrounding yourself with in, in, in the sense of, like, if you're coming up with these ridiculous yeah. ideas to pull off in a short amount of time, you, you, you kind of have to have people around you that are who are also willing to skip a few steps or, yeah. you know, not really, you know, cross your T's and dot your I's. How are you finding these people that are kind of helping you execute this type of stuff? Yeah, I think that I started attracting people who were like me at that time, who were in it for the quick path to fame and wealth. Mm-hmm. And that was a recipe for disaster. And I was so caught up in that I am so deep into this. I need to make this happen. That whenever someone was like telling me like no, I would just fire them. So really, <laughs> I was acting like a total asshole. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not okay, but it's like oh, uh, you like Elon Musk the first day on yeah, Twitter. Exactly. What? Get the fuck out! <laughs> exactly. You like, tweet it back at me, you're done. <laughs> we, we can't have water. Like sorry, like I'll pay you a severance, but you're gone. Like I need people who can make this shit happen. And I was, it was so fucking wrong. Yo, why didn't you pay the cook? Yeah, is the I think the cook was on a documentary. One of them. Um, I never met her. I've spoken to I, I've spoken to her since jail, but I, I did not meet her during that time. So uh, I have spoken with Andy King. I know Andy King raised two hundred thousand dollars for her, so mm. that was great. And she got paid that a couple of years ago, I think, two or three years ago. But I've been in touch, and whatever I owe her personally, I certainly will be paying. But yeah, she's she's. Let's be honest. It's important to me. You're not paying shit. Why not? It's a lot of money. Like, how much yeah. money in debt are you now? Like, because of this. So I think I owe the workers in the Bahamas. Like three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Oh, okay. okay. So which I is, it was like which is million. <laughs> which is reasonable. Oh, reasonable. Reasonable. Okay. It's something where if I you know make a good product, I can reasonably pay. 
I owe restitution, which is to the investors who lost money. How much is that? $27 million. And basically, I've been literally paying every three or four weeks since I've gotten out of jail. And like, obviously, I'm not going to pay that back on small income. I need to hit, like, hit a home run with the business. So mm. I will pay back whatever I can as I earn, but it's going to take you know building a company and making it valuable. Okay. And, and before so we, we get did one one call out real quick. Yeah. I want to do a live live FaceTime here. Who? Who are we doing? We have an offer to pay back the Bahamas in full. And really? Every worker that's that's owed. And we just we just need to do a call out on this. Who is it? He's an entrepreneur working call right now. Oh. He's gonna pay back every, all the workers in full. John, what's going on? This is DJ Academic. Yo, what's good? What's good? John Sarasani, the entrepreneur. So we have an offer to get every worker in the Bahamas paid back in full. We just need some participation from the hip-hop community. John, I know you've been in touch with the promoter, so I'll let you lay this out. All right, man. We talked about, we talked about different ways we could do this fucking shit. They only will do it with these two conditions. The first all the money you don't get to keep any of the money it goes back to the bahamas so we're there that's easy right yeah good the second condition we were talking about like putting out of a challenge billy because he's a guy you kind of want to punch in the face kind of dude and they go no we're only doing it if it's ja rule so we didn't have to fight okay for 15 minutes 15 minutes and he pays back hundreds of people okay okay wait 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 i love drama and i love hip-hop so Essentially, you're saying, which, by the way, you know, watching, you know, the documentary, I felt so bad for the people, the great people of the Bahamas. It's a great place. They felt they're owed. Their debt, the $350,000 will be paid back. And all, it, this could get all handled if we have Ja Rule in the ring with you. 15 minutes. 15 minutes. I did four years in jail. 15 minutes. One night for 15 minutes, pay hundreds of people back and change your lives. Are you doing this because you want to do this or or you're like, you know what, even if I get my – because you don't look like a fighter, no disrespect. I'm not. I'm not a fighter, yeah. He'll probably beat me. I think like 80% chance he wins, and that's fine. Okay. But I think it's doing the right thing. Academic, that's what they said too. They said they want it to be like a real fight, not like some Hollywood bullshit, like a real fight. So they feel like Ja Rule probably wants to beat his ass. So there's no reason Ja Rule shouldn't take up this opportunity. That's that's their position. Could Ja Rule get paid? They're frowning on that, but... Um... <laughs> ja Rule's a... <laughs> <laughs> hey, what's the Ja Rule thing? Because, by the way, you know, he, 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 took, he took some flack for it. He kind of came out and played. Um, he said, I didn't know what was going on. Um... The hip hop community killed him for it for a while, but obviously he's still a legendary, uh, you know, artist. You know, ever since you've been back out, he hasn't commented on it. I know the hip hop world has, has been trying to get him. It's like, what's your thoughts on everything? What's you guys' relationship? So we were we were uh, close friends for a few years. He's very charismatic. He's a great sales guy. Um, he's got a lot of good qualities. I just I just think that, you know. We've all suffered our losses in various ways over the years, and at this point, an opportunity to Did help. Did you lie to him for him to get involved? I don't think I lied to him, no. Do you, so, do you, th- because... Yeah, I, I want to be careful with my answers here, and, like, it's, listen, like, I was the one who was guilty for, for everything that happened. Um, I certainly lied to a lot of people. I don't believe I lied to him, and... Do, do you feel he has a right to probably maybe have something against you because he, I, I think he believes you probably 
ruined or helped ruin his reputation a bit. And I think that's why you would probably want to beat your ass. Yeah. Well, I hope so. So let's let's go and do it and <laughs> do some good. But uh, no, he, he's got he's got a lot of positive traits, and I, I think like I think he has a good heart, and I think he he certainly means well. We're, we're all you know flawed in our own ways, and. And the fight call out is not against him as a person. It's an opportunity to help people in like mm-hmm. an intangible way. And, yeah, you know, the, the, watching um, you know, I w- watch your interview with Nelk and also um, hearing you speak about the Bahamas. That's that's the thing that came off sincere to me that mm-hmm. you value the people mm-hmm. that live there and you value the place. And if anyone might have felt wrong you felt you're indebted to those people in the Bahamas more than even the investors and everybody else. That, that, that's what kind of yeah. came, came across to me. And, and it seems like with you even saying this fight, it doesn't seem like you really have anything against Ja Rule or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's just like, hey, if I need to generate some capital, which that's kind of like your story right. where it's like, okay, how do I get this capital? Uh, if I need to get some capital to pay these people back and someone's down to write that check, if I just get in the ring, it could be entertaining or embarrassing yeah. for you, uh, entertaining to some, embarrassing for you. But you're down to like kind of jump on a sword to get it done. Yeah, it's like the I just, the people there, the culture, they're so warm. And out of everybody I know and who like went through all the best times with me, they were some of the ones who supported me throughout jail. Like literally, like they were some of the closest guys I have. Um, a number of them flew up here the day I got released. They came to America for the first time. Like never have seen New York. And like they're here to to like welcome me home, and get me back on my feet. And I owe the community there. And like, I think they made me who I am and like positive traits for so mm. many years. And I will, you know, I will go and get punched in the face to, to pay them back. That's the least I can where, do. Where would and, this go down? And so this one needs, yeah, needs some details. John is the one helped me make sure the Bahamas gets paid how, back. How would this go down if Ja Rule says, you know what? Screw it. I, I, I'll indulge. Um, I'll give 15 minutes of my life just to, uh, um, you know, just put hands on this guy. Uh, how would this go down? involved here um, are combining one's out of London one's out of Miami let's just put it this way they're gonna have the wherewithal to put this at a freaking venue definitely a live stream um, you know sell tickets to the event there'll be plenty of ways to bring in money and I gotta tell you man I, I personally outside of Billy nothing to do with Billy before I even knew him I'm in the Bahamas probably five to ten times a year mm. and the people of the Bahamas are so freaking nice and they love Americans coming there so if Billy has a chance as an American to make this right with the Bahamians, let's jump all over this shit. That's where I stand. I agree. I agree. I I, I, th- I think Jairo will respond in some capacity. Thank you, John. Yeah, man. Thanks, guys. yeah let's get him to respond. Uh, have you reached out to Jairo or spoke to him since you got out? Uh, I have not. No, you have not. No. So I've not spoken to him since. Mm. Since uh, since what was what was the nature of you guys' relationship? Um. Before everything kind of went, yeah, we because I, he was the staunch advocate of this, right? And a lot of people in the hip hop community was like, "Okay, all right, this is a new concept." And a lot of times in, in our communities, it's like we need someone that kind of has cultural equity to to, to make us feel good about, yeah. like believing in something. And, and he did that. So we were we met through Magnesis. Um, we met in the Magnesis years, mm-hmm. and basically he performed at a number of times for the Magnesis members, and we started talking about how broken the process was. And I think 
what really made him stand out was out of all the other you know, music artists, entertainers I'd come across with who also agreed there was a problem and transparency and bookings and all these middlemen in the industry, he was the one to actually take action and was forward thinking enough to be like, hey, I could be the guy that solves this. So mm. a lot of respect for him there to like want to jump in and do that. Um, Did he own percentage? Yeah, we were equal partners in, in Fire. So really? We were, we were, he was helping with Magnesis stuff for a number of years. I'm like, we were friends for, I think, maybe two years before we started building Fire together. But yeah, I give him credit for being like... Wait, he was, was it like a 50-50 partnership or there were other people? No, we were 50, uh, I think we each owned like a third of Fire and then like various investors and team members owned the other, other third. So oh. yeah, so we were equal partners on Fire, both the app and the festival. And what, what was his involvement when, you know, clearly, and again, not too sure how accurate yeah, this yeah. is, this, but this is why we're talking to you. In the weeks leading up to it, it just felt like such a chaotic situation. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure he probably saw the island and, and probably seen the progress and be like, hey, this is just not doable. Uh, him also being in the concert space way more than you, yeah. did, did he ever be like, hey, listen, it's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen based on what I'm seeing now and where we are and the timeline we're promising. It's not going to happen. Let's postpone or something. Yeah, I think there, everybody is certainly expressing concerns. And I, I took on this role where, like, I need to be this steadfast leader where we are going to make the impossible reality and nothing is going to stop us. So whether it was him or other employees, I was certainly that, like, voice of, like, hey, let's keep pushing forward and we're going to make this work. And I was clearly, clearly wrong, but... I truly don't think anybody believed it wasn't going to work until the last second. Like we all like deep down thought we were going to pull this off. And that was obviously silly and wrong. Describe those days. Yeah. At the, the festival is now here. What, yeah. what happens? It's like the, the two weeks before were just like the worst two weeks of my life. The costs were ballooning. We were trying to get so much done in two weeks that like I literally wake up in the morning and had a full-time employee whose job it was, was to send me a spreadsheet every morning. And the title was daily urgent payments. And he would list all the payments that we had to make that day. What's the craziest payments that you were making? Like, it's like I would wake up at, you know, 9 a.m. And, okay, I need to find $3 million that's wired to us by 2 p.m. So we can rewire it out by the 4 p.m. deadline. So it's like every day for two weeks, there was some absurd dollar figure where I'd wake up and be like, fuck, I have five hours to get $2 million in the bank. Or I have five hours to get $3 million in the bank. And every day for two weeks, I'd go and raise this money. And that was like the most stressful period of my entire life. How? Like, what's the craziest thing you uh, um, did or, like, you know, said in terms of trying to get that money that quickly? It just got wild. And I started, I was lying to investors about how well we were doing. Like, I was saying Fire was making way more money than it was to make the investment look more attractive. But, dude, I was fucking. Were you promising things to? I, I was certainly, I was promising returns. That I, I was wrong. So it was like, I was certainly like committing fraud to the investors. But I think the most fucked at up. At that point, you were cognizant of it, right? Uh, I, I knew it was wrong. And like, this is not, this is not okay. But my justification was that if this festival works, we have this massive brand. And you're rolling the dice. Everybody's make a lot of money. And that's like my mentality. And that was totally incorrect. Like, I'll never do that again. But yeah, so I'm like, fuck it. Like, the ends justify the means. And that's not how business works. And like, I was wrong for it. But I just fucking thought like, hey, I got to make this work. And doing whatever it takes. Yo, did you really send homie down there to go suck some dick for some water? <laughs> that's that shit was crazy. There so, was a dude. Yeah. If, if, if if you guys have never, it, yeah. it's, it, it feels like a movie watching this shit, but it's real. There's a dude that comes on and he says, "Yo, I was in I was in so much belief yeah. of Billy that Billy told me, yo, listen, we need water or something like that. You got to go down to wherever 
and make this shit happen yeah. and by any means necessary. And the guy, I think he was homosexual. He was like, yo, might have to suck some dick to get it done. And the dude was like, at that point, which that's why I felt like you might be manipulated. I'm like, that's some crazy level brainwashing. He said it was down to like, you know what I mean? Like he was going <laughs> to give some fellatio for some water. <laughs> so yeah, Andy King is the guy. Andy's my boy. Um, we're actually cooking grilled cheese sandwiches this Sunday in New York. For real? Yeah, to raise money for the Bahamas. So, oh, I thought you hated you. No, okay. no, we're boys. Ooh, so we're going to go 7th Street Burger and like literally cook the grilled cheese sandwiches for like you gotta five bucks. You got to keep them on, on, your, on your payroll or oh, your, he's, your he's friend a man. circle. He's a man. Um, yeah, I think like that story was news to me when it broke. Uh, I think we were certainly in like... Do you believe him? Do I believe what? That he, he would have done it. I think Annie truly would have taken one for the team. Uh, really? I, I did not order Annie to go suck a guy's dick. I, I know I know it makes for good TV, but, but I think if I did order him, he would have done it. <laughs> no, that's a rider, yo. And he's amazing. No, that, he's, he's a man. Cool yeah. Oh, shit. All right, so so you're, you're raising money every week, which... Yeah, every day. Uh, every day. Every day. Um, wow, just kind of like yeah. telling investors whatever they need yeah. to hear. They're like, okay, cool, we're going to yeah. wire somebody over. And you're like getting that out, um, but what is that money doing at that yeah. point? Then we just have so many. Exp- like, I want to publish these bank statements because like the shit that I was buying was so like I paid what? a quarter million dollars for bug spray. Like, no way. yeah, I spent like seventy thousand dollars on like padding for under some of the tents. Like these things that people would not have seen. Yeah, I was so caught up in like this needs to be the perfect experience. I was like losing track of like what the core shit was and like buying all this ancillary stuff. You know. Then like seventy k and like bicycles, people can like ride around the island. Like just like literally the shit that we were purchasing was like ridiculous. Now there was still main problems: electricity, water. Yep. Um, were there real tangible ways of getting that accomplished, or it was just like let's get a bunch of generators and just keep? This shit we we're just trying to hack it all together, and literally we gave like an intern a key to this. I don't know what you call the trucks that moved like the pallets, like yeah, yeah. the big ass like box trucks. I'm like eighteen year old like son of one of our investors, like a key. The night before, there's a big storm going on outside, and he literally drives over a water line and like takes the water out <laughs> for the festival sites. Like anything that could have gone wrong went wrong this at the shit last was like minute. A disaster. It was like a disaster. <laughs> like we had all these patchwork things. Okay, we had a great water system, but like, it wasn't great because there's only one fucking pipe. And now he hit the pipe, and like, what's gonna happen? We're fucked. So everything is like went to shit at the last second. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So people start arriving. Yep. What are you doing? And what's what's your like? You know, yeah. so, like like. I made like, your heart's beating at this point, right? I made so many illegal and immoral decisions before that were way worse than this. But I made one last like management call that ruined the festival. Planes we had we chartered two seven thirty seven jets. We literally set up a terminal. How, how, wait, how big are those? Those are the ones that can hold like one hundred and twenty right? passengers. Damn, okay. Uh, we set up a terminal in Miami International Airport for like fire. Like I think we paid like wait, two, you could set up a terminal? Yeah, I think we paid like two point one million dollars to charter these two planes for two weekends just for like. Thursday through Sunday for two weekends. Like how many flights? Uh, all day long. So there were no lights in the runway in the island. So the first plane arrived at sunrise, and they were flying back and forth between Miami and the island from sunrise to sunset Thursday through Sunday. So the first guests started arriving. You know, Isn't there an oversight committee somehow that says, "Yo, you can't land at seven thirty-seven on the island"? We had clearance. We, we were full, fully cleared, and like oh, so, so did, the island uh, or Bahamas did it was all. like cool. Put up a quarter million dollar security deposit with the FAA. Like we were all like totally clear for the flights. Did it all legitimately. And I, I had no idea. W- w- yeah. I think this was surprises like regular people like yeah. me. Is like we don't even think you could do this. Yeah. Right. We don't even think you could actually like. Book, like just get a terminal at a international airport. Yeah, like that just seems far fetched. Obviously, yeah. you're, 
you know, I mean, you're making it happen with millions of dollars, mm-hmm. but shit. Okay, so, so these planes are coming in. The guests start arriving early Thursday morning. There's this huge storm that hit us the last night. It's like we weren't ready yet. And instead of having them come to the festival site in like waves of 120 people, which is manageable, I said, listen, let's send them all to this beach on the other side of the island. Send all the boats, send all the jet skis, send all the booze, give them free drinks and have them have a great time. So the planes were arriving. We put them in buses, sent them to like the party beach. And now there are hundreds of them there, like seven, 800 people. And now it's dark. It's like eight o'clock, nine o'clock. I'm like, all right, we're ready. Bring them back. We had no lights. They were all fucking smashed. And we just couldn't handle the influx all at the same time. How were you guys going to get lights? We had a couple of generators and a couple of lights. Just like it wasn't enough to handle 900 people trying to find their tents and like check in at the same time. Like that one decision took it from like, okay, this would be like not great, but probably still would have worked. And I would have gone to jail still for lying to investors to this fucking thing is canceled with hundreds of drunk people all trying to get there at once. Whereas if they came in at seven o'clock, a hundred at a time sober, we would have figured it out. So, okay, so I, I ruined everything with that last decision. Wow. So yeah. so now they come back, they're fucking hammered. Hammered. Um, hammered. It's, it's dark. Sun setting. It's dark. What do you do? People are panicking. Like, all I know is I had hundreds of employees at this point, and it speaks to my inability to manage them. Like, I felt like I couldn't find anybody. And I had, like, my five core Bahamian friends who were, like, right next to me the whole time. And I remember standing there on this milk crate screaming, where the fuck that. is everybody? Yeah, it's like yeah. my entire team, I can't find anybody. I have my Bahamian <laughs> boys and no one else is here. Like I am paying millions of dollars a week on salaries. Where is the team? And I was mad at them, but like, in reality, I just didn't know how to like manage or set up the structure. But yeah, I just like, it just fucking went to shit. So, so pretty much the, next, the subsequent days, no one actually ever performed. No one performed, no. So, so words, words going back to the States like, yo, yeah. this is not what we thought it yeah. was. So none of the artists show up, period. So the, the festival was supposed to start on a Friday. We had guests arriving a day before to give us time to get everybody there. Mm-hmm. A lot of the artists were already like on the main island in Nassau, like waiting to catch their like small plane over to the island. Yeah. And like we canceled it late Thursday night before they were supposed to perform on Friday. So a lot of them were there. Only one had canceled. Blink-182 had canceled. The rest were either there or on their way. So it was not a thing like a, where there were no artists coming. Like that's bullshit. They were all paid. Was it immediate in your thinking like, now it's just a shit show. Yeah, is it immediate? You're thinking, I'm going to fucking jail. So, the, on Friday we canceled the festival. We're sending everybody back, and one of my investors, who was very politically connected, calls me up and gives me a set of instructions. He's like, "Do this, this, and this." And one of the instructions was to send him a wire for X, and send him a wire for X amount of dollars. I didn't have the money. And uh, like, wait, he's, he's asking for his money back. Asking for his money back. How much did he give you? Uh, it was. Get, I don't want to say it, it was a handful of millions of dollars, but like millions. Yes, but at this point, all like Stripe froze our account. Oh shit! You said the, at that the, time, the day after the festival, uh-huh. my one investor who's very politically connected called me and gave me a list of demands, including returning his money. All of our accounts had gotten frozen overnight. We had a bunch of like ticket money in our, like, our Stripe account. We had like bank accounts. They all got frozen like when the media hit. So, so you have zero available. How is it frozen though? What do you mean frozen? They just like put a freeze in the account, like you know, restricted us from spending or sending any money. So the, the bank because the, because bank. the government isn't involved yet. No, right? it's just the banks. They're like, hey, we see all the media, we see all the press. Oh, banks it, move like that? Yeah. Like, oh, we see all the news. Like, what people up? started filing chargebacks. They're calling their credit card company, so oh, they're they're okay. all nervous now, and like everybody's yeah, yeah. at risk. So everything just got got frozen. I'm like, my accessible cash went from millions of dollars a day to like very very little. 
right? Wow. So he's like, I need this amount of money back. I need you to go to the media and say this. He's giving me all these instructions. He goes, and if you don't say this, you're going to be on the cover of Wall Street Journal in handcuffs. And in my mind, jail was the furthest thing I ever yeah. thought. Like, oh, I'm a tech person, like trying to do a music festival. Like, jail? Like, <laughs> what's this guy talking about? And I basically told him, like, I don't, I don't have it. Fuck off. Yeah. And then I call him like a day later. So I call him on Saturday. He's so like, you tell him fuck off. Yeah. Because you're like, yo, what is he talking about? Like, first of all, I can't send you X million dollars right now. It's just like not, my accounts are frozen. And like, I told him that. And then, and then you call him back the next day. I call day, him back probably. the next day trying to like figure something out. And he goes, sorry, it's too late. He goes, I tried to help you. It's too late. And then I oh, land. He told all you, man. And yeah. And then I land back in the U.S. the next day, Sunday at midnight. And then at 5 a.m., you know, the FBI is there and the investigation starts. So. I, wait, I, wait, so you land back in the FBI is already? I'm, yeah. They moved that quick? Five hours later after I got back to the U.S. So they show up and yeah. they're like season shit? Yeah, search warrants for like, you know, emails and like computers and all kind of stuff. Oh, wow. Yeah, subpoenas, whatever it's called. I think it was called subpoenas, yeah. So did they take you into custody then? No, then I was officially arrested six weeks later. So it went pretty fast. So you kind of knew you were, you were going to Yeah, at this point, like. Did you yeah. get a lawyer and everything? Yeah, I got a lawyer. I mean, I knew I was guilty, but and like. The investor didn't do anything wrong. He just, like, you know, he just made it happen fast, right? Like, I'm sure he just called his buddy and was like, hey, this guy fucking committed a crime. Go get his ass. You know, like, yeah, sure. But like, yeah, and, yeah. Is he the only investor that cooperated, or not cooperated, but pretty much, I guess it's cooperation. They had to tell the government, yeah. like, hey, he lied to us, yeah. right? Or I don't know who. I think, like, three or four of the investors did. Mm. Which, by the way, is they're right. They gave you the money, Yeah, right? for, no, for sure. And, like, yeah, I, 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 I was wrong. I lied to them, and I deserve to go to jail. So, like, they didn't do anything wrong. In my opinion. So you get locked up and you get yeah. charged with what? So I get charged with wire fraud. Um, I get put on bail, you know, right away. So I'm on bail for a year. And then. How much is the bail? I think it was a, it was a, it's a federal system. So it was bond for 300,000. So I had to put 50,000 down in cash and the rest was just like, like a signature bond. Mm. Um, and then I was on bail for a year and then my bail got revoked because I was just being retired on bail. What were you doing? I was selling tickets for, for events in like New York. And you're scalping tickets, my brother. I was trying to sell tickets for like events that I thought I could get access to, but I really couldn't. And I was, wait, I was wait, no, no, I heard about this. I heard yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yo, bro, you're a born scammer, man. Yeah. <laughs> I won't call it a scammer. I, yeah. I, you oversell. Yeah, I, I was wrong. I was just like, I was still in the mentality where now I'm like, okay, I was told I got to pay back this dollar amount or else I'm going to jail. I didn't pay it back. I went to jail. Like now I got to find a way to pay back all my investors or else I'm going to lose my life. And I set out with, Still bad intentions, but I set out with the intentions of trying to get money to get myself out of the hole. Just like kept digging a deeper hole, and I just didn't didn't what didn't have the time to realize I was wrong at that point. So you were trying to monetize your your um, address book, in yeah, a sense, right? Like, okay, I could sell these tickets that people could come to these events. Like I could do what I was doing with Magnesis still, even yeah. though I'm on bail, right? So like some of the stuff that Magnesis like made work, I could still pull off. Mm-hmm. I just didn't know that like being federally indicted, like no one's gonna fuck with me. I just like, You're like I, I can't, I'm like radioactive. Yeah. Uh, the person who would like beg me to come, you know, six months ago now is blocking my number. Like literally become radioactive. Mm. I just like didn't understand that. And I didn't, didn't know how to behave or operate. And I was like a 26 year old, now 25 year old kid who was like, fuck, I spent one night in jail at Brooklyn MDC. I'm scared shitless. Like I can't go back there. I got to figure this out. And just like kept making it worse. You eventually pled out. Yep. So then got to, you know, pled out to wire fraud and whatever, various wire fraud-related charges, and was sentenced to six years. Six years uh, that you served how, how I, I just served four years. 
So yeah. serve four years, and then the rest is probably just like some supervised release. Yeah, right? I'm on supervised release now. Wow. How was that process of being incarcerated for you? It was rough, and I kept getting in trouble in jail in the beginning, too. Really? Like, You're like the prototypical guy, I would imagine. You ever seen that movie with that dude's name, and it's him and Kevin Hart, and it's like, yo, you got to get me tough for jail. Yeah, exactly. You're the dude, bro. You're the dude. I just, you didn't know a movie I'm talking about? Get hard. Yeah, Get Hard. You're yeah. like, you're the guy from Get Hard. Like, how is jail for you? Like, you're so, in there. And I could imagine you're seeing the biggest degenerates. Like, you so know. I, got, I get my bell revoked I'm in the Brooklyn Detention Center where it's like, you know, there's some rough dudes in there. So I, I decided to throw a music concert for the uh, for my unit. So I got in, all, the, in, in Brooklyn. So I got all the kids who wanted to rap together. And, like, we did, like, a class for a couple months and did a concert. That was kind of funny. Wait, wait, wait. This is before jail? No, in jail. How did you get people? They, like, they brought in, like, a like a karaoke machine kind of thing, and we did, like, a little rap concert in the jail. So okay, so you got people on your side. Yeah, so kind of, like, found a way to try to add some value, right? And I think the one thing you told me before, which, like, totally resonate with, and I was preaching to a lot of the guys there, I'm like, if you want to be in the business, but you're not going to be the star, like, be a manager, be an agent, like, yeah. be a publicist, you know, here like what the roles are and here's what you can do and it's like started teaching guys but where the opportunities were like hey i'm paying this guy to do this and he's not the artist he's still making money i think i always tell people scooter braun like scooter braun's richer than all these artists he bought taylor swift masters like come on exactly who you want to be the 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 artist crying on instagram about she don't own her own work or you want to be scooter braun who has huge building in santa monica so we did was i basically had had the guys pair up into groups of three i'm like all right one one's the artist one's the manager and one's the agent and we had these, like, groups Why of three. Why listen to? This is jail. Yeah. This is jail. Like, yo, if I'm in jail, the I'm listening to the tough guys with the tattoos on their face. Yeah. Not the white guy. I think a, a lot of guys are like, fuck off, right? But also a lot of people, too, like, they see opportunity and they watch daytime TV, right? And, like, mm-hmm. they see $27 million on like, yeah. on, like, local news. It's like, all right, like, maybe something he's saying is, like, real. And, like, just try to, you know, be, be a nice guy. And I think my entire approach to jail was... A lot of guys go in there to, hu- like, not to hustle, but they go to jail and they hustle to make money. And I said from day one, I'm not going to make a dollar in jail, right? So, like, I'm not going to get in the way of anybody's business. I'm not going to try to make a penny here. I think people saw that and, like, understood. Like, I'm not there to, to was, try to take. Was this jail or prison? Because, it, like, obviously you plea out, right? Yeah. So they send you to, like, wherever you're going to serve still your in, time. I was still, this is, like, the temporary detention center still. Yeah. And then, you know, got sentenced and then got shipped to, like, a regular place after that. It was, like, it got to be, like, Minimum security. Type. I started a minimum security place, got in trouble there. And I, what are you doing to get in trouble? So I had a USB device that I was trying to basically record a book on, and they did not like that, and that was against the rules. Yeah, but everybody has stuff in jail. Like, yeah, how'd you get caught? Uh, someone told on me. Somebody told on you? Yeah. So it was crazy. Like the one guy was like always like walking around saying how tough he was. He got in trouble for something else, and he told on me. He told on you? The guy's like, oh, I hate rats. I hate snitches. Like, I hate snitches. <laughs> yeah. Yo, but. The, the guy who screamed it the loudest was the one who was, like, the one who was doing it, which is, which is always ironic. So whatever. Then what really got me fucked was I went to a different jail. That was like a little bit worse than that one. And I did a podcast over the payphone, and they did not like that. That was not a good idea. Really? Why not? Oh, you got to ask for permission, right? It wasn't. I think part of the reason was, like, I didn't break any rule. So, like, they didn't know what to do. Like, they put me in the hole, and they, like, left me there. It's like, what do we punish him for? Like, he didn't use a cell phone. He used the pay phone. Like, he didn't call a number he wasn't allowed to call. And they, like, they were, like, so they said, they said, oh, you manipulated the system. And just because it doesn't violate a rule doesn't make it okay. And they just, like, fucking screwed me. Mentally, how are you processing even incarceration? When you started out, you never thought that, hey, I'm doing something yeah. that I'm trying to hurt anyone. Yeah. I'm trying to do anything bad. Yeah. Or you're... You're not even thinking about jail. Now yeah. you're in prison. Yeah. 
for four years? Like, how are you mentally processing yeah. all this? I couldn't process the amount of time. And going back to the waking up every day with a dollar amount to get by 2 p.m., I was like living on an hourly basis, right? Like oh, my life was do or die by the hour. And now I'm sentenced to six years. I can't fathom six years. Like six years before I was in my dorm room, like in college trying to figure out like what the fucking angel investor was. Yeah. And now it's saying I have six more years of being in jail. I couldn't picture that. And that's why I kept trying to like do businesses from jail, whether it's the book or the podcast. I just didn't know how to sit still for that long. It seemed like you wanted access to the outside world, badly, which, which, badly, yeah. which clearly prison is basically saying you cannot have you can't that, do it right so, so so obviously mentally you had to get through it fights in jail no no not, not really no oh okay, good, good. Yeah. okay i think it's like if you don't owe anybody money mm. then it's like not really worth you know someone else getting in trouble for right so it's like True. that's kind of the big thing it's like and i'm not into drugs like a lot of it was like drug deals gone wrong drug debts if you weren't doing that it's like you're pretty much okay i never hear about in your story family yeah where were your family? Did you have a girl at the time? Like, how does how does all of that kind of rupture yeah. what you've been going through or deal with just as a regular human? Because you're work driven, like a lot yeah. of people, like me too. But like, you know, there is some family, right? Like, yeah. I, I got to imagine your parents, your brothers, your sisters. I don't know if you have kids or if you had like a significant other. How is that like affecting those relationships? Yeah, the, the statement is just so true that it's the hardest on the family. Like when you're going through something bad. And it's you, you can at least like know what's happening minute by minute. When you don't know what's happening, you always assume the worst. And so I just like, I crushed them, you know, really hurt close family, close friends, girlfriends. Like that's like, it just kills me. Mm. It's super hard. So when'd you get out? Uh, my sentence ended August 30th. So wow. like eight months ago. Eight months ago. Seven, eight months. Eight months. Yeah. But you're still on supervised release. Still on supervised release. And I do, I've been hearing talks of like Firefest too. Yeah. Why? I've just had, like, since I've gotten out of jail, I've had offers from, you know, the biggest sovereign wealth fund in the world down to, like, your local really? your local venue down the block. And in so many different iterations and verticals and ideas, and there's, like, some really interesting concepts that are, that are out there happening. Uh, I'm not going to be, like, operating a festival myself anytime soon. I think you'd be a decent person to be the face of it because you, you did represent... That volatility you represent was could be packaged as fun, yep. right? And like people will pay for that, but you run it clearly. Come on, yeah, I, I cannot be running a festival. I'm not going to be running a festival. I want to market. I want to like do adventurous things. I want to take people from different worlds and bring them together. And if I can do that and find partners who are professionals, whether it's a movie or a TV show or or some other event, and have them do that, like that's great. And like my entire thing is, how can I do something really interesting while paying people back? How do you make money now? Doing a lot of marketing consulting work and a lot of media stuff. So filming a number of TV shows and then basically helping a lot of like tech startups just do like influencer celebrity marketing. I could see uh, a movie based off of your actual story from just kind of how you've you turned, like you're like the smart kid who got lost in the sauce a bit, but lived a whole, a hell of a life yeah. even to this point. Um, movie being done now? I. Uh, being negotiated, so it's it's in the works. Okay, do you consider yourself a manipulator? I don't know. Like I've been like it, that's probably a question that comes up a lot. These questions are so hard to like. It's like, are you a liar? It's like, well, yes, I lied for. No, well, like, I'm guessing it's like it also is about the, the very that you're able to do it yeah. too, right? So it's like everybody manipulates, but 
do you feel like a lot of um, what you've done is because you're good at manipulating, right? Because people lie and they're bad at it. I think I'm good at getting people excited. And I think that's my biggest, like, that's the biggest skill and flaw that led to a lot of the, a lot of the drama. And I certainly, there's a period of my life where I lied way beyond any measure of what's like even acceptable. Like that's fucked up. It's wrong. I should be punished for that. Like I'm disgusted by that. And I think I've like, I've changed a lot there, but you know, what do you think? What, what do you think the, am I a manipulator or like what's. That's, that's the laugh of yes. I think I get too much credit for like things that I didn't mean to happen. And people think like, Oh, I was scheming for it to work this way. In reality, I'm just getting everybody excited. And like shit's just happening. I'm going to draw an interesting parallel. You just even sitting here and, yeah. and hearing your story when you said it on Elk, you have a lot of similar similar traits to Takashi Six Nine. And no, no, yeah. And I'm gonna tell you how. He's a Mexican kid with rainbow hair that somehow convinced a bunch of dudes in the hood that were gang members. Yeah. Hey, listen, you guys should get behind me and buy into the story. Yeah. And there's like a there's like a light at the end of this path. And even though I'm all over the place and they didn't really get the methods or agree with it a lot of times, they still bought in. And then even after he got locked up and came back out, shit, I did an interview with him like well, last year. There was a bunch of other dudes with him again. Yeah. And they, they, they buy, he's someone who could always get people to buy into stuff. Now, I've always said this about 692. I said, he's not a 100th the rapper he is as he is a marketer. He's a brilliant marketer. He could sell anything. Like he just got beat up in LA Fitness, yeah. like whatever, whatever. Yeah, he could market that shit. Yeah. It's, 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 when people think he's down, he's always up. Yeah. So marketing is where I kind of see where your skills yeah. are. If you know how to sell and you know how to kind of tap into either people's inner desires, fears, or whatever the case is. And if you could package that in a, in a interesting enough format, people are always going to turn their heads. So that's why when you say turbulence, mm-hmm. um, that's the turbulence, yeah. right? It's like, oh, what's going on over there? Yeah. You get what I mean? And, and I think that's invaluable because that's usually someone that's not broke. Mm-hmm. Or, or you always make money. Yeah. I then ask this question, maybe gets into a business question. Well, you're a great marketer. Why? Uh, well, clearly you need money now, but why not just use your own money? Just take these risks yourself. Yeah. You know, it, it would, it would kind of eliminate you from having to maybe lie as much or whatever. And you probably wouldn't get you in situations that you'd be fucked up. Yep. Just take the risk with your money. Yeah, I think like, ironically, I might be in that position in a few years where if I can do a lot of marketing work for companies, I can do some TV shows, do a movie, like these things all pay pretty well. Right. So if I can like save up, pay some people back and then do it all myself in X number of years, like that's the, that's the goal. That's the home run. So we'll see as we get there. Like it's going to be a long path. Did, do you see? Do you foresee yourself not playing around with like you spent millions of dollars in, in days yeah. or hours, yeah. right? Have you foreseen yourself just being a regular person, mm-hmm. where maybe maybe make a salary ninety thousand yeah. a year? Mm-hmm. If you've kind of feel like the person where you're gonna be a millionaire, or you're, yeah. go- <laughs> I don't know where you're gonna be so after. My drive now is like zero to do with money, and I never want to be the guy. Who, or well, well, let's yeah. eliminate money. Living life on that, like you, you've been to the top. Yeah, I just can't see you working a mundane sure. job and maybe doing smaller projects that's yeah. just not as impactful. Now it feels like you're 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 like the guy that uh, every time he gets up there uh, in baseball, 
he's swinging for the fences or yeah. it's a strikeout. He's not looking yeah. for the let's get a single. I think like what motivates me is I want to build something that people use, that millions of people use, right? But I never want to be the guy again who's paying for, you know, 30 people to go out to dinner or for 40 people to go on a vacation. Mm. Like that guy's a fucking loser. And I was that guy for such a long period of time. It's not a happy existence. Like, right. I'm in the back. Like, Wait, what, you like, think that now? Yeah. Like wondering, is my wire going to go through? Is my, is my credit card didn't get declined at the club tonight? Cause they're going to spend, you know, X to hundreds of thousands of dollars. Like that sucks, man. I'm just a fucking loser. I never want to be that guy again. I don't want to be the money bag. I want to be the guy who like built something interesting, makes a positive impact and just like has fun along the way. Um, you, you, you clearly seemingly have, you're apologetic for a lot of things you, you've done. Would you, would you do it again? Would I like make the same decisions again? Like absolutely, yes. absolutely not. No. Like, what would I, you have done different? I would just would not have lied. I think like if I failed, honestly, that would have been totally fine and like maybe a good thing. But to fail dishonestly, it's just like it's not okay in any way. And you just like to not get far ahead. And I could, I wish I knew that. Like if I tried to do a festival and I failed, but I did not lie to any investor, they still they would have been there for me. And guess what? We probably would have done three more great ones since then. But yeah. the fact that I lied, set everything back. I think for like any young aspiring entrepreneur, failure is totally okay in entrepreneurship, and it's not it's it's okay to fail. And I didn't believe that before. It's facts. Hey, um, so again, I, I, I like your marketing creative brain. Yeah. What's the next thing? Like, what is it? I we, we know yeah. you're doing consultant marketing yeah. work. What's the next thing? What are you kind of hitching your uh, wagon to? I think for the first time in my life, I have time. You know, I don't have crazy monthly expenses, and it's like. I really want to figure out like what the tech product is that I want to develop the next 10 years of my life to. So I'm taking my time. I'm going to do these TV shows, hopefully do this movie, do some marketing work, fight Ja Rule, fight Ja Rule, pay back the Bahamas. <laughs> and then, then when it's time to really figure out like what that next, next plan is, I will have the people, I'll have the trust. I'll have hit a couple of singles along the way so we can go big when it's time to go big. How old are you now? Uh, 31. Wow. Yeah. To, to have done a, um, Federal sentence came yeah. back out. Yeah. At least you're you're still in the ball ballpark of like I usually say the peak of a guy's life is like yeah. like well, earning potential. Usually, yeah. if you didn't go to jail, like thirty five, you're not even there yet. No. So like, you could literally get back up to where you yeah. um, were before. Um, anything that you haven't done that's just bucket list type stuff. Ooh, great question. I know it's kind of like lame, but I've never gone skydiving. I really want to do that. Basically, skydove in the I know, like plane. in the plane, but like we, the plane still gets like catches itself. So, never gone skydiving. That's like one thing I want to do soon. I watch a lot of plane videos. Yeah. Imagine you try to turn that engine on, that shit ain't turn on. Yeah, you can glide for a little bit though. Okay, that's true. Yeah. But like, if you well, I don't know what type of if you flip it where the yeah. plane is now lost, whatever. Yeah, no, there's some that's guys the barrel rolls and stuff. That that's crazy. Yeah, man. All right, skydiving. But other than that, and by the way, like. I feel like there's maybe... I think I want to have a fight. I wanted to, like, have the mental and physical challenge where it's, like, for eight weeks, I do nothing but prepare myself for, like, an MMA fight. I think that'll be, like, a really good life challenge. And... Why? It's, like, fucking... Like, I think I'm just the most scared of it, right? And it's, like, something that I'm really, like, afraid of. Like, I don't want to get punched in the face. You probably saw it in jail all the time. That's a primitive primitive space right there. But it scares me. And I think, like, that's interesting. Like, how can you take on that challenge? And if I can do that and pay back the Bahamas, like, fuck yeah. Like... That's a great way to spend eight weeks of my life. Have you ever talked talk to a therapist or even a doctor? Because it feels like you're addicted, just like how sex, sex is an addiction for some people. Like, it, it, that's all just a release of dopamine, right? Like, you know what I mean? Gambling, same thing. Yeah. Like, you know, shit, I'm gambling. I love when I win. I hate yeah. when I lose. Yeah. Um, 
you you have an addiction, whether it's to like extreme stuff or whatever, but it, it, that all has to do with dopamine release, right? Have you talked to anyone that would probably, you know, kind of assess you mentally yeah. how you think about those things? Yeah, I think I definitely had a lot of dopamine addiction issues six years ago. I think like I've gotten a little bit more boring now, which doesn't make for a good podcast, but still got to spice it up, right? Like if yeah, I go, lived a yeah, life that yeah, I, I think yeah. people would either listen. Your life is obviously without the Wall Street face. It's kind of like a Wolf of Wall Street type of like people love those type of those type of movies because the majority of people wouldn't even dare yeah. take those chances, right? And also, we also know it kind of ends wrong. Yeah, but it's like watching a, a movie about a drug dealer. You want to see the rise. You want to see how much they enjoyed it, knowing at the end they're probably getting locked up. Yeah, but you don't want to get locked up, so you don't do it. So. People want to watch the plane go through the storm, but they don't want to have the risk of being on the plane when it goes down. That's that's fact. Yeah. Um, anything in the hip hop space, um, in the music space, because you you started off by kind of working yeah, with labels, uh, working on a couple couple little tests in the, in the music world. So if I see you pop up yeah. with one of these AI programs, yeah, I, 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 I was. <laughs> it's going to be very interesting how the limitations of artists or you know any human can be enhanced by AI. You know, if an artist can be in a lot of locations at one time or like making content specifically for each fan, like when that fan needs it or wants it, I think there's like a lot of really interesting things happening in that area that I'm playing around with. It, that's been very, um, I mean, they play with a little bit with hologram yeah, stuff before, yeah. but now AI is like completely, how much, you always seem forward thinking when it comes to technology. What's your view of just AI technology? as it relates to music or not relates because it looks like some people are scared. I think a lot of artists are going to have this challenge where in the next five years, there are going to be a lot of AI based artists where the artist doesn't exist. It's entirely an AI persona and they're just doing all the right things. They're getting in the right controversies. They're saying the right things. So they're making the right content and they're DMing their fans. Like when their fan really needs them. And that's scary. Like how can we as humans or as entertainers or as personalities compete against a robot who is nonstop? So I think it's going to be question. how can the artists use that AI to enhance themselves while still like maintaining their creativity. And the yeah. ones who do that are going to become the next Jay-Z's in the next five years. Yeah, I've thought about that as I see the increase in fear about AI. Yeah. And, and, and people remind us that this was the same fear people had about the internet. Yes. Like the advent of the internet, people were like, no, this is bad. And people are having the same thoughts about AI mm-hmm. only to – we're going to see who actually uses it. Like, for example, Drake just advocated for it, not really to be banned, but he's like, this is too far, yeah. right? Because people are, like, appropriating songs. Um, but I can see, like, in the future, an artist maybe passed away with, like, maybe songs that were unfinished, yes. but maybe they had, like, other reference tracks that were imperfect. You used AI to kind of... Like, what if Drake said, you know what, I'm going to embrace this, and I'm going to upload all of my music, release unreleased, to some AI service, and then it's going to study all of my fans... When my fan needs a song, they're going through a hardship in life. They're going through a happy moment. The AI is going to chop my lyrics up. It's my real voice. It's my re- real lyrics and make a song just for them. And like, like there, there's that ways that, and like exactly when the person needs it. They just got broken up with. They're, they just graduated from high school. Uh, they just won a sports game. They just got a big injury. Like when they need that artist, that artist delivers them something unique. Like that's how you become the next fucking evolution of these artists. So I think the ones who embrace that are going to really take the game by storm. I think that's it's just scary to embrace. Yeah, like I mean, like, even what you did to uh, 
uh, get like in the music space with like, hey, I'll take the leads from your emails. Yeah. Right. You taking the leads like now I think you could. I, I'm trying out AIs a little bit in terms of yeah. doing simple tasks. Right. But if you could say you could tell AI to do that. Yeah. Right. So it's like all of these little things that a human would either have to do or not do to get ahead. Like we're, we're probably just going to be in an AI program world at yeah. a certain point. Agreed. So. So I think like the artists who embrace that and you figure out how to use enhance to enhance AI to his or her creativity and work are going to be the ones who become the next superstars. What happened to the code or whatever from like that app that you could book artists on? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. I think like it's technology has gotten so much easier now. Like apps have gotten so much easier to build. Yeah. Someone, oh, like, that's not as Yeah, like, someone could rebuild it, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. rather easily. It's just Back like, then it yeah. felt like it was like a, a proprietary. Yes, it was like way harder to build, you know, seven years ago than it is today. Mm. Mm. All right. Um, anything else you want to you let people know that you got coming up? So just pumped to be on the first, like my first real music podcast. No, I'm glad like, you're here, man. Yeah, let's see how this one goes. Hey, listen, Ja Rule. Ja Rule. This is, a, this is finally when we were going to want to know what Ja Rule thinks about something. What he thinks about... I had no idea you guys were like equal partners. It's kind of hell. You took you took all the blame for him though. That's a good guy. It was my fault for sure. If I was me, I'd be like, get Ja Rule in here. With me. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, was, it was my fault. Was oh like, man! All right, man, Billy. Thank yeah, you, brother. Academics, thank Listen, you I'm hoping uh, in the future we're hearing about a, uh, a festival. Maybe you could be involved, but I definitely don't want you to be involved in the plan. All right, because <laughs> I'm not boarding no plane with you in it. Where you're like, yo, cut the engines. I'm like, hell we should, no. We should do the podcast from the plane. Uh, hell that no. would be a sick podcast. Uh, that would be a sick podcast, though. Like literally from the backseat of like With the American Airlines pilots, okay? Well, we, we can negotiate that later. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Yo, thank you for watching another episode of uh, Off the Record Podcast here exclusively on Spotify. Until next time, it's your boy DJ Academics. Go check out Billy and whatever crazy ideas he got going on. Uh when, the, when is your Netflix special coming out? Uh, I don't know. It got to be coming. The, the, the next one will be in the fall, it looks like. Perfect. Hey, wait for that. Peace, people.